I am particularly honored and delighted uh, to be able to introduce Pat Gross to offer some opening remarks. Um, uh, Pat is the chairman of the Level Group, a business and technology advisory and investment firm. Uh, through the Level Group, he is advising half a dozen private technology and internet commerce firms. Um, previously, he spent three decades with American Management Systems, Inc. He founded AMS in 1970 with four colleagues from the Office of Secretary of Defense and built it to a $1 billion company with 7,000 professionals throughout North America and Europe. Um, he currently serves on a number of corporate boards, on a number of um, nonprofit boards. Um, I'm particularly pleased that he's a longstanding trustee of the Aspen Institute. He also was a trustee of the Hitachi Foundation. Um, and Pat has just been a real thought partner to us and supporter of this. Um, he built companies uh, based on an idea of quality jobs. He's really thoughtful about this issue of quality jobs being good business and why it's a good business strategy. Um, he's tremendously helpful on some of the details of getting the contracts done on this and figuring out how do we work with the lawyers. And, <laughs> and he has just been a, just, a, just a fabulous partner throughout the process of, of developing this software tool. So I can't think of anybody better to launch our conversation than Pat Gross. And please join me in welcoming Pat Gross to the stand. Welcome, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, the idea for what you're going to see today started off I, three or four years ago at the Adachi Foundation. Mark Popovich, working with Barbara Dyer, uh, came up with the idea and started on it. And then the Adachi Foundation concluded it, that it needed to close. And so we looked for uh, parties who believed and had, had programs which were aligned with what we were doing. And the Aspen Institute clearly came to mind with respect to the good jobs, good employee uh, initiatives. And so uh, we provided, uh, we offered, well, Aspen Institute offered Mark and we provided some money. And so the initiative has been established here. I think we're now into our second, second full year, started at the beginning of 2017. Um, I do wanna recognize uh, several of my former board members of, of the Hitachi Foundation are here. Barbara Dyer uh, was the president of the Hitachi Foundation for many years. She's here. David Langstaff, who is uh, an interim executive vice president of the Aspen Institute, was on our board, is here. Bruce McCurry, of course, who was the previous chairman of the, uh, of the Hitachi Foundation, is here. And Laura Faulkner, who is a member of our staff, is here. So we're, we've, the foundation is well, uh, well represented, or the former foundation is well represented. Um, the whole idea of this, and, and Maureen's already uh, mentioned it, is that in, in, uh, in looking at good jobs, there's a question of what are they and how do you measure them? And this tool that you're going to see today is a, an important part of dealing with that question. And I think when you see some of the uh, companies that are representative talk about um, how it's been used and what's been learned in using it, you'll, you'll see what the manifestation of actually having real data associated with it. Um, I personally uh, discovered the importance of having really good employee relationships with my own company because we needed to retain people. And so we, for, for just pure business reasons, we went out of our way to create a great working environment for our employees. The first year that Working Women Magazine uh, recognized the best companies for women to work for, we were recognized. People called me up and said, uh, 
what, what is it that, that motivated you to want to apply for this? I said, nothing. We just wanted to retain the outstanding people we had. And so we were, we, we adopted very flexible practices in retaining uh, women, particularly after they gave babies. We would, they could work full, they come back full time, they come back part time, they could stop traveling for a while. And, and uh, it became very obvious to me that having really loyal employees, low turnover, was really good for business and was good for the financial performance for our business. And so that's what, it's kind of the initial thing that got me really thinking about this. And of course, then the Hitachi Foundation uh, had a program of looking across the country for companies that had good employment practice and good outcomes. And they had, I don't know, hundreds were surveyed and the characteristics of so-called pioneer employees were developed. And out of that, those criteria then became the foundation for which what you're going to hear about today and has been developed by, uh, by a, a, a company that they've engaged. The Aspen Institute is not in the business of developing software. It's not in the business of, of, of providing software that can be applied in large numbers of organizations. So it partnered with an organization uh, called Working Metrics. You're going to hear something about that today. Anyway, I am very optimistic about the potential this tool has uh, for actually getting an increased focus on high-quality jobs and companies and getting awareness of management about the value of great employees who want to stay there, who can advance their careers in a company and so forth. And that's what we're all after. And you're going to see the start, of, not the start, but the initiation of the effort to really replicate what we've learned today. Thank you. And I, I really do appreciate the Hitachi Foundation's uh, support and uh, getting us here to this point, and Pat, in particular, your involvement that made it possible to develop this further. So um, I do want to say uh, how much I appreciate the welcoming that I've gotten here in the last two years with the Economic Opportunities Program team. Uh, the communication staff have been great, and also mention the, the, the positive working experience we've had with Working Metrics will come up here in a minute, and Dynagility, which is a software development company. And then please mention to Dan Porterfield that this is being streamed on the campus of Georgetown University. You don't need to mention that it's my daughter who's streaming it, um, but you know uh, we get credit for that anyway. So uh, after 12 years in, in uh, philanthropy, I'm now on the other side of the street, so I particularly recognize want to recognize this slide which is to, uh, to acknowledge the funders who supported us uh, in part in addition to the Hitachi Foundation over time. Um, so uh, my uh, acronym for remembering what I'm supposed to talk today is READY, R-E-A-D-Y, and I'm going to go through uh, the acronym as I go through here. First is the R, and that's for real. So this really did develop out of the experience of companies who were doing really well in their business and doing really great with their employees. Here's just a sample of the kinds of companies that we looked at. Interestingly enough, none of them took the same path to excellence with either their employees or their financial performance. And that led us to conclude that it was about outcomes that mattered. We're slow learners, but eventually we learn. And so we focused on outcomes in terms of looking at things. Um, the other the, the RE is the E is easy. We, need, we knew as a prime director from the beginning that unless we kept the burden on reporting companies low, the uptake of this would not be as much as we would like. It had to be easy to understand the results 
and it had to be easy to be able to connect those results to performance over time. So we focused on the prime directive all along of keeping this really user-friendly, making it speedy, reliable, saving time for people, and likewise um, generating real insights. The REA, the A is analytics, and I'm about to go there now. Um, I think that you have this in your handouts at your place. Um, this is what's generated when a company uploads their data. Instantly, they get a scorecard. We call it the social impact scorecard. There's a summary after analyzing all this data that shows you that this is a four and a half out of five stars company. Companies are rated not against all companies, but against other companies in their same sector and subsector. You can see this is Aspen Ideas Manufacturing, and they're in the manufacturing fabricated metals, and they're doing really pretty well. I'm gonna drill in on the metrics that we use to determine that they're doing very well. I've taken a portion and blown it up here so that I could read it. Again, the analytics. So the gray band is what we've established from big federal data sources of, about what's average for that business. It's like a C grade would fall in the gray band. The blue uh, is what the company actually performed. So what we focus on first is retention rate at 84%. They're above the C level for retention. On job growth, they're really at zero. Um, they don't have any net job growth over the three-year period of time that we measured them here. And on earnings, this is the average earnings for all employees who are under $60,000 a year. We focus in the scoring on frontline workers, and we define those right now, though we'll change it over time, at $60,000 a year. You can see at 18% increase, they're uh, significantly above their national peers. And then we give a little bit of extra credit for their company-wide retention. Because benefits are just as important as pay, it's a little hard to split them out, we give extra credit scoring on the basis of they have a qualifying plan for each of these, and then we have a quality standards. And again, this varies by the industry. So in, in manufacturing, you'd be expected to offer all three of these plans, and you'd be expected actually to meet or exceed the quality standard for all three of these plans. As you can see, they meet or exceed the quality standard in one of the three, health insurance. That means they provide a plan at 60% of the premium cost paid by the employer or higher. So the other analytic it gives them is, how could they improve? It tells them their net, their net job growth was zero, they're way behind their peers, they could improve if they attended to that issue. So the uh, READ, the D is diversity. The latest thing that we've added to the system is the ability to capture information that's reported about diversity, summarize it and report it. We think diversity and inclusion is a key goal for companies. It's a value in our society and it should be reflected in the way that we um, make transparent to people who are using the system what's happening within the company. So here we're looking at Aspen Ideas Manufacturing by gender breakout. There's 123 total employees. If this were live, I could hover over here and it would tell me how many are women and how many are men. That's the key. And then it shows you with graphics the job growth and the retention and the earnings by group. So that's just by gender. Um, again, with diversity, because I ready must be spelled with two Ds. Um, 
I'm looking at the further breakout of men versus women, the detailed data. I always like the detailed data. And you can see that the job growth for females was 2% versus 1%. But the really interesting thing to me is average earnings growth was 14% for women, twice that of the men in this firm. They're increasing the number of women in this firm, and they're increasingly doing well in terms of their average wage. If we look at job growth within, um, within the different uh, demographic groups, the African-American, black African-American is up 38%. Uh, white is at 0% change, and um, uh, Hispanic Latino is down 11%. So there's been some changes within the diversity makeup of this group. Some good news, some news to be concerned about, and some things to watch. Here's our theory of change, and that is, this is not gonna be draw, driven into the marketplace by the goodness of people's hearts. I believe in the goodness of people's hearts, but sometimes it's just not enough on its own. So we think money matters, and the way that we see it, this is money over here, that this is a procurement chain that's gonna issue contracts, or it's an investor or lender, and they're gonna say, this is working metrics, the application here, the software cloud base, and this is Aspen, or another manufacturing that wants to get the money or the contracts. So they make the request that this company report. This company might or might not report just to benchmark itself, but when this procurement or lender says thou shalt report, it's a little bit stronger in terms of their reporting. We become then in the middle the broker of this exchange of information and insight about the company. So one of the uh, the great things about this is uh, you're thinking that I've forgotten about the why in Ready, and that is we're, we're yoked with a partner of working metrics. <laughs> Good luck, Larry. <laughs> I don't know if yoking is good or bad. <laughs> yoking or joking? Yeah, that's a Swedish word. <laughs> so my name is Larry Schlang. Uh, Founder and CEO of Working Metrics, and uh, thank you all for coming. Um, last night I was in bed and I was working on my remarks, and uh, I'm sort of saying them out loud, and my wife is way over the far side of the bed. And uh, she sort of looks at me with uh, disapproval on her face. It's like, why are you so boring? <laughs> Can't you just like not be so complicated and just like simplify it down? And uh, because my wife is almost, if not always, right, at least with respect to me, and because she's probably streaming this right now, I'm going to take her advice. <laughs> I'm not yoking. <laughs> um, so the first question is, what is working metrics? So uh, working metrics is in the, the sort of our subtitle is a workforce analytics company. Um, what does that mean? It means that we are really honored and proud to have partnered with the Aspen Institute to create a platform that uh, enables companies and their partners to be able to um, measure, benchmark, score, analyze their job quality over time. And then to be able to securely share that, their scores and their results with their stakeholders, their business partners, such as Mark mentioned, procurement and investors and lenders. 
So why is this important? Well, we believe that great jobs produce great results. And those results uh, are for the company, they're for the company's employees, it's for the company's partners, and also for the communities within which they work. So you can tell by my gray hair, I've been around the block a little bit. Um, and I've started a few different companies and led a few different companies. And the thing I've learned is similar to what Pat said, is that companies that have employees who like working at the place that they're at, who feel that this is a fair place that they're working for, and have the opportunity of advancement, um, those companies have a huge differentiator over their competitors. They have a motivated workforce that wants to succeed. Um, so the issue was, as other, Mark has, has said and others have said, the, the problem has been, up until now, there's been no data-driven, easy way to measure job quality. So we made it our business to go ahead and do that. Actually, let me go to that slide first. So um, how important is this? So this is, uh, goes back to Mark's theory of uh, the, his follow the money strategy. So if you take a look at each of these different kinds of players, a number of them are interested in financial and operational performance. But what they're also interested in, many of them, is what's going on socially and with working and living standards in their communities. So if you start with anchor institutions, they annually spend about $500 billion a year on goods and services. Government procurement accounts for $2 trillion worth of spending on, uh, for vendors. And then impact investors have already committed uh, $9 trillion uh, to work on ES and G type initiatives. So what does this mean? It means that there's a whole lot of money out there uh, that can have a whole uh, huge impact on businesses and on businesses' decision-making about what they value, including um, job quality. Oh, how do I go back? So who is this important to? So I won't belabor this because Mark has already covered a bunch of it. But it's, uh, it's critically important now to businesses to be able to assess their own job quality, see where they stand against their competitors, uh, against their peers in their industry and their region, so that they can better uh, uh, attract talent, uh, get contracts, and uh, ultimately improve their performance. It's also important to those companies, to the partners that they work with. So Mark talked about um, procurement organizations, their buyers, their customers, and their potential lenders and uh, investors. It's very important to them to be able to look into their job quality because it has a direct correlation to their reliability as suppliers, uh, as good borrowers who are you know, at lower credit risk, and as a good investor who may have a larger ROI. So Mark showed you a little bit about how we measure um, job quality. Um, I want to talk to you about just a little uh, quick moment for how, we how it actually works. So let's imagine that you're a um, procurement officer 
uh, at, a, uh, at an engine manufacturer. And you're about to do a, a, con a RFP for parts. So you, um, you, what you want to do now, in addition to the regular things that you include in your RFP process, is look at uh, the job quality of your uh, potential bidders. So the first thing you do is you invite the bidders in. After they receive the invitation and they register, they supply their job data easily and quickly. It takes only a few minutes. Immediately after they do that, they get their social impact scorecard that gives them their scores and their results. You also, the procurement officer, get the same scorecard so you can take a look at them. And then in addition to that, you, you, we provide a full suite of tools for you to be able to compare and analyze all the different companies that are bidding on it and seeing where they stand with respect to their job quality and figure that into your decision making and selection process. So how do we work with our partners, with our, with, with our users? Uh, basically, they're all basically to us our partners. We're on a mission to improve job quality for companies, for employees, for their business partners and communities, and we can't be successful unless our users are successful. So how do we do that? We provide a lot of support. There's a lot of training that we do, both on-site and online and through videos and other things like that. We're also extremely um, uh, interested in helping you interpret your results. Uh, and if your results are a little bit lower than your company might hope, we help you identify ways, ways to improve that. And we especially are looking forward to getting feedback from our, our users, which we already have done. And then we take that feedback to see how we're doing. And then we also include it back into the product. So who's using it in Cincinnati? Well, you're about to see a number of the folks that are going to be here. Companies have been users of the product uh, to date. Um, and in addition to them, there are also a number of similar organizations that we're working with in the same way in Cleveland, in Chicago, in uh, North Carolina, and in Baltimore and other locations. And we hope we get to talk to uh, others of you in the, in the audience uh, and work with you as well. We're just going to bring the panel up. Um, so uh, we actually chose today, come on up. We chose today to focus on one community that was an early adopter of the strategy. And I, I'm really pleased to have them here today because of the experience that we've gained from working with them. But I, I want to comment first about Janice Urbanic. Um, Janice got this idea when it was a kernel of an idea and we didn't have a way to really do it yet. And she's been, throughout the period of time, our Sherpa on the mountain slope of connecting with businesses in Cincinnati, Ohio, and, and with their partners in the nonprofit sector as well. There are many times when she kept us from falling into the deep crevasse of error with our business partners, and we have learned to no longer say in Cincinnati, job quality, but people performance. Janice, thank you for your support over the last two years, and take it away. Um, and thank you all for being here today. Um, I'd like to have a few comments, but I'd like to introduce our panel, uh, first of all. Uh, to my immediate left is Arlene Koff, who is the Vice President of Administration and Human Resources at Triversity Construction. Triversity is a very rapidly growing construction company in the greater Cincinnati region 
who also is minority owned. Um, they're growing so fast, they, they've um, increased their workforce 20% year over year for the last few years, and their revenues have seen uh, double digit growth year over year. So growing very rapidly, and they're very focused on improving the quality of their jobs and making true transformation in the community. Uh, to her left is Ken Macon, who is the Director of Strategic Sourcing for TriHealth. Um, and TriHealth is uh, a, a merger organization over the last uh, few years that now includes five hospitals, over 160 care sites, and has about $1.8 billion in annual revenues. So a very large anchor institution in the greater Cincinnati region that is also very deeply committed to the community and improving the health of the community, not just physical health, but also the economic health of the community. So thank you both for, for being on the panel um, here today. Um, just a, a few opening comments, and then we'll get into some questions for the panel. Um, as, as Mark said, um, I'm with the National Fund for Workforce Solutions, and we're a network of 32 communities across the country that are focused on helping, it, it, leveraging the investments, the policies, and the practices to help people get good jobs, to help employers have access to skilled workers, but then to also drive increasingly prosperous communities uh, in the communities in which we work. Prior to that, for about nine years prior, I was the um, executive director and led some work in construction and manufacturing for Partners for a Competitive Workforce in Cincinnati which is one of the 32 sites that comprise the National Fund. And prior to that, I had corporate experience, which has really helped inform my work in this space with a small company called Procter & Gamble, um, <laughs> but, but also with a construction industry, uh, with a construction company. So I've had a, a broad range of experience from very small companies to very large companies. To tell you why Cincinnati is profiled here, let me just give you a little background there. Um, Cincinnati is, is growing by leaps and bounds and is, is really rocketing up on all kinds of top 10 lists around communities that are doing really well, the economy is booming. But when you look closer at the data, it really is a tale of two cities. Uh, Cincinnati has the sixth highest rate of childhood poverty in the country. And when you disaggregate the data by race, which has been done in, in the um, Urban League of uh, Greater Cincinnati, did a study a few years ago that, that really told a tale of two cities, there are great racial disparities against every metric that they looked at. So while we have on one hand a, a booming economy and a booming city, there are many who are not enjoying that same kind of advancement. So because of that, about three or four years ago, there was a child poverty collaborative that was created that was geared towards understanding what are the root causes of poverty and, and how can we fix this? It was, a, it was very embarrassing, frankly, for the community to understand that they had such a high child poverty rate. And one of the initiatives that came out of the Poverty Collaborative was an employer roundtable. And the purpose of the roundtable was to help employers to, to really engage the private sector in this great community need to help them improve the quality of their jobs, to help them recruit, retain, and advance their workers and, and hopefully advance them to higher levels of, of self-sufficiency. And through that roundtable, our goal was to help these companies identify how they could create long-term value for their businesses, for their employees, but also for the community. 
But within the roundtable, we also wanted to recognize exemplary employers because we knew we had exemplary employers, but we didn't quite have a way to identify them in a objective way to do that. And we also wanted to drive community transformation. We wanted to drive scale. And so we saw opportunities through anchor institutions like TriHealth to really drive it through their procurement and their supply chain processes. So I'd been working with Mark and Larry for a while. We actually, they came into town a few years ago and did a pilot with about five or six or seven uh, companies with the tool. And it was all kind of coming together, the development of the tool, but then also this greater community awareness around how could we really engage the private sector that, that we saw that the tool could really help us with, with all the work that we were trying to do with the private sector. It, it gave us a way to activate CEOs, to activate them to really engage on improving the quality of their jobs, but to do it as a business strategy, not as an initiative. If you have it deeply embedded as a business strategy, it has much more staying power. Initiatives come and go, as we all know. So how did we get TriHealth and Triversity engaged? Two very different organizations and two very, very different approaches. Um, we all know that if you're going to have deep-seated change, it needs to start at the top. It needs to start with the CEOs. In the case of TriHealth, we saw, as I said, an opportunity to leverage this deeply embedded organization in the community, this deeply embedded anchor institution, and to work with them on their procurement processes and to use that as a way to drive improved job quality through their supply chain. The, as Mark said, the tool really does change the conversation. When your potential customer is asking you to do something differently, that is a huge way, an immediate way, to get the attention of a CEO. If your, if your uh, purchaser, if your potential client is asking you to do something different. And the way that we were able to make this all work was through a shared board member. There was a person who was on the board of TriHealth, who was also on the board of Partners for a Competitive Workforce, and who was also on the board of the Child Poverty Collaborative, and her name is Sister Sally Duffy. And I don't know about you, but when a nun asks you to do something, you hop right on. So it was through the connections that Sister Sally made that, um, that allowed TriHealth to, to come to the table. In the case of Triversity, again, the CEO was so critical. Mel Gravely, who's the president and CEO of Triversity, um, was on the advisory council for the employer roundtable. And one day we were in a meeting and we were talking about how do we get more companies to get really engaged in this work. And Mel just had this aha moment, like, what am I doing at my company? Am I really doing everything that I'm asking other companies to do? And I think he literally picked up his cell phone, sent a text to Arlene and said, we need to use this tool. And it was through his focus and his prioritization that we got TriHealth um, engaged. Triversity. Triversity. I'm sorry. Triversity. Thank you. You're gonna, we're we going to do that multiple times we, we, today. We I'm sorry. Yes. Thank Mel you. Mel does have some influence at TriHealth, but he didn't. <laughs> and Ken and I look so much alike. So, so let's shift gears to the panel now. Um, and I, for the first question, I want to stay on the theme of business strategy and, and how that affects priorities. So Ken, when you think about TriHealth, um, what are the values that drive TriHealth and, and the organization and how it does business and, and, and how does the data that comes out of the tool, how does it help you 
How does it help organ how does it help TriHealth live that mission in the community? So TriHealth has a vision um, in, in Cincinnati to be the the health system that everybody wants to go to. They want that physicians want to practice, that employees want to come to work at, and that most importantly, that patients want to come to for their care. Um, we're very ingrained, uh, as you mentioned, uh, an anchor institution uh, in the greater Cincinnati area. And we wanted, uh, you know, so, so it fits perfectly within our mission, uh, within our vision to, to look at, you know, our, the companies that we work with. Uh, who, who are we working with? So we're doing, we have programs and impl things implemented at TriHealth to, to work through and, and to make sure that we're keeping our end of the bargain up in the community. But what are the companies that we're working with um, doing? So the, the tool kind of fit that, uh, that mode for us. And when Sister Sally suggested we have this discussion, uh, so our CEO, Mark Clement, he's asked us to do things, and we kind of do it, and sometimes we don't. <laughs> but when it came from Sister Sally, it was like, oh, we got to talk to these guys, the Aspen Institute and Working Metrics. We got to talk to them because they, you know, Sister Sally said so. Uh, so uh, she, she certainly has a, a great deal of influence with us. But, but um, yeah, so it, it offers, a, you know, the tool that we wanted to utilize. We thought that it was fit very well within our, 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 our vision and mission to, to really help the health of the community and help us to track the community. And one of the things that we see is if there was some objective measure, because when you do, when you, you know, you're talking to, to companies that you do, do business with, they'll tell you what they think you want to hear. And, and you'll say, okay, well, you guys do a good job with your employees. You, you do a good job with diversity. You, but you know, when it gets down to what are you actually doing and can it be measured and is it a, an objective measure, that's when the rubber meets the road. And we really wanted to see how this can work. Great, thank you. So Arlene, can you describe your approach at Triversity to creating good jobs and why you think that's important to your work, to your business? So um, being in the construction company, uh, in the construction industry, I should say, um, that industry historically tends to be a little light on minorities and women, right? So um, one of the reasons I joined Triversity was that um, we were mission driven to turn the industry on its head a bit as it relates to that level of diversity. Um, so um, our purpose is to build a better way. It's not just a tagline. We don't believe that we're just gonna go into um, a community, do work, make some money, and leave. We're there because in order to build a better way, we need to be building a better community as well. And so in order to build that better community, that means that we had to look at things differently. How are we hiring people? Who are we hiring? How are we treating them? So that meant we had to look at historically, do you have to have this level of education? Do you have to have this level of experience? Um, what if you do have a criminal background? So what? So we had to look at things with a different lens. And then once we said, okay, you're all invited to dinner, we had to then make sure that everybody had the same food on their plate. 
right? So that's how we look at creating a good work environment. So we didn't bring in people that did the, the hard labor work because we've got those folks, we've got people that um, manage the people that do that, right? We didn't have two different sets of rules either. We wanted to make sure that if we offered good pay, we offer good pay based on your job, based on how you were doing. If we offer good benefits, we offer good benefits across the board. If we offer dignity and respect in the way you're treated, we offer that across the board. So that's been our approach to how we hire and why we do things the way that we do them. Great, thank you. So we're gonna shift a little bit now to how you've each used the tool and um, staying with you, Arlene. So you've used the tool on the people performance side. What did you learn and, and what was your experience as you used the tool? Well, I will start with Triversity is full of cynics. So um, we used it and we actually got a five-star rating and we were cynical. We said, well, that's great, but what does that really mean? So we took a look at the data um, and I had many conversations. Mark and Larry were probably tired of listening to me um, because I had so many questions. Okay, so drill down and help me understand this and help me understand that. Because I wanted to understand if we made, if we were five star, what made us five star and how do we keep being five star? Um, because we could be five star based on a moment in time, but how do we make sure that that is sustainable? So we took that data, we backed it against other data that we had. Um, I was sharing uh, earlier that we have uh, an organization in Cincinnati called the Women's Fund, and they did research too. We took that research, paired it with the research um, and the data that came back through working metrics and said, okay, these are things that we know we're doing well, but we've also got some things that we want to either start doing or we want to do better so that we can continue to have a sustained five-star rating. Great. Thank you. So. Ken, at, at TriHealth, you had a $50 million contract, RFP, that was, was going out on the street. So what was it about the tool that you thought could give you valuable information in that decision-making process, and, and why is that important to you? Well, we were in a, in a situation where our, um, our broadline distributor, um, our, our contract for distribution for medical supplies was, was ending. Uh, coming to a toward a close, and, and at the same time, we were hearing about the work, the tool with working metrics and, and Aspen Institute, and so we went through as we were hearing more and more about it. How are we going to make a decision? Do we stay with the incumbent? Do we uh, explore other alternatives? Do we look at other potential uh, players in the space? And uh, then that incumbent uh, announced to us that they were going to leave the greater Cincinnati area and move to another location uh, really made us think, wait a minute, that's like 55 jobs that they were going to just take away and leave. And we could just reward them with another $50 million contract. And we know that there's going to be some service implications. They're going to, you know, with, with this, such of a change. So uh, we made the decision to, to uh, do a request for proposal to explore other potential uh, players. And then we, um, and, and in doing so, we wanted to include as, a, as an element in our decision uh, process uh, using the tool uh, from Working Metric and getting that social impact score. Um, it wasn't the only determining factor. Um, cost 
was one of the five determining factor. Cost was two of the five determining <laughs> factors. <laughs> and cost was three of the five. But also their ability to service and you know their fit within our organization. Uh, and cost is important. Healthcare, you know, we've got declining reimbursement, things like that. So we wanted to try to do what we could to try to drive out cost, but not on the backs of employees not on the backs of the, the, the frontline employees particularly. And, and this is something specifically that this tool uh, looked at. So we used it as one of the uh, elements to, to review. Uh, we met with, it was met when we asked them, uh, when we had our initial uh, call with, the, with, with the, the, the potential bidders, we said we're gonna ask you to use this tool on and on, and they, they was met with a little uh, dissension. They did not want to participate. Some, some companies said they wouldn't participate. They didn't want to do it. And we said, well, then that's fine. <laughs> you just won't be participating in the RFP as well. And we, we held the line on that, and it, was a, and it got a little tense, um, but we held the line on that. One, there was a few pieces with the tool that made it um, difficult. The use of social security numbers was a big uh, barrier uh, for them, and I know that's been changed now. But uh, we we held the line on that. They utilized the tool, and I think they got they learned some things uh, when they pr participated and utilized the tool. They learned some things about themselves that they may not have known, or they didn't have it quantified. It's an inkling that you have, but not a real um, uh, thing to quantify. So the selected supplier. Um, was not the incumbent, um, but they, they decided to, uh, as a part of this process, not necessarily directly related to the use of the tool and the focus on, on jobs, um, but the selected supplier decided that, hey, Greater Cincinnati is a target market for us. We have a lot of customers there. We will put a distribution center near your location to support you and a few other hospitals. And uh, it, it, it really changed kind of the game and changed our thought. And obviously, it, it had some impact on their social impact score as well. So not 55 jobs, but maybe 40 jobs um, would be coming to the greater Cincinnati area. So that was another determining factor for us as well. Okay. So Ken, I know as, as TriHealth was looking at the tool, one of the questions that you had at the time was, well, what about diversity factors? Yeah. Um, can you tell us why that was important? Well, diversity is extremely important for TriHealth. Um, we, um, <clears throat> we, I've been at TriHealth a little over, uh, just about two years. And uh, one of the things since I've been there is we started looking at uh, supplier diversity and really started working toward uh, improving our, uh, our utilization of minority and women-owned businesses as well as veteran-owned businesses uh, within the community. We also, in that time frame, looked at our workforce diversity and, in fact, um, tried to institute some, some things internally to improve uh, workforce diversity among our senior leadership team within TriHealth. So it's, it's a, it's, it's, again, aligns with our values and aligns with our mission and, and vision. And so when we saw the tool and saw the capabilities of it and saw, started to see some of the re results and the impact it had on our suppliers, we said, man, let's include diversity. Why can't we include diversity as a part of the tool? Great. 
And as Mark said, you know, a key design criteria was to minimize burden on suppliers. And, and many suppliers were being asked to provide that data anyway. Yeah. And by, able, by being able to embed that all in the tool at the same time, it really helped to minimize that burden. And, and the folks at Aspen and Working Metrics were very responsive to that request uh, from yeah. TriHealth. So, thank you. So Arlene, you had five stars. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So how, how is Triversity thinking about leveraging that? How can you use that to build your business? So um, construction is at an all-time high. Um, you guys can probably look around and see that your streets are blocked off, lots of cranes around, <laughs> detours, all that kind of stuff. I tell people all the time, construction is the business of inconveniencing people. So lots of people want to get in that business. Um, <laughs> so trying to find people to work in this business is very difficult right now. Um, we have a very, very low unemployment rate. Um, so what that means is we've got to go and compete for people who have jobs. Um, the days of post and pray, you post it and pray that somebody answers your ad and comes and works for you are over. And so being able to have this data, which um, as an HR professional, we had to go in and manually pull it. We had to extract things. We had to go do our own analysis. Um, Larry and Mark um, were phenomenal in being able to help us to see how easy this was. Because even though, as Janice mentioned, Mel um, called me and said, hey, we're going to do this. I said, oh, really now? Um, <laughs> and who's going to do this? But once I talked with um, Mark and Larry and saw how easy it was to use, how easy it was to get the data out. There was no reason why we wouldn't use it. So now we've got it, we can go and we can talk to potential employees and let them know that the company over here that they're working for isn't as awesome as Triversity and we can prove it, right? Um, so the, the, the recruitment marketing is a real thing now because we have to go find good people, um, being able to use it internally to let people who are here already working for us who think the grass is greener on the other side, for some of them it might be, but the ones we wanna keep, we wanna be able to utilize this to show them that we really do care about them, we really are creating good quality jobs, and it helps us to stay on our game to make sure that our policies and procedures stay in alignment so that we stay a five-star company. Great. So one last question before we open it up to the, to the crowd. So you're both leaders in the community, both leaders in your respective industries. What advice would you have to other businesses or other communities that, that are listening in today and considering using the tool? Ken, you want to start? So, I mean, I think the tool as it's getting off the ground, it's it's gonna, it, you have to stand fast, you have to hold fast. I mean, uh, from a perspective, of, from a supply chain perspective, you know, I think, uh, you know, and I think it was alluded to earlier today, you have to inspect what you expect. Uh, and if, as we talk about certain things with suppliers, we talk about um, social responsibility, and we want to do, everybody wants to do business more with folks that have a social responsibility. But when it comes to, you know, what are the tactics that you use, I think this is a good tool that you know, long term could be a, uh, you know, 
one of those benchmarks that we use universally. Um, but it first starts with you've got to hold the line. We've had we had some pretty tense discussions with our suppliers as as we were looking at this, and you know uh, some of the suppliers that didn't win in the in the debrief they they said okay well we're still doing some business with you do we you know can we we don't have to do this anymore. I was like, no, you're still going to have to do this. We're going to, we're, our intention is to include this in our quarterly business reviews with our selected supplier. And uh, we'll, we're going to select other suppliers that will, you know, that we're going to try to uh, participate in this tool as well. Uh, and it will be included as a key indicator in our performance, uh, our quarterly business reviews going forward. So hold the line um, to, to get this behavior to change. Um, it's like going to the doctor. You think that you're doing okay, but it's great to have confirmation. Um, so using this tool is a great way to confirm whether or not you really are doing well. Um, don't be afraid of it because even if you find out the results aren't exactly what you thought they would be or what you would like them to be, you at least now have a place of data to start with and then be able to build from there. So there's nothing to fear about it. There's only wonderful things to be gained once you have the data and are willing to actually do something about it. So my suggestion would be to go use it and then use it. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to open it up to uh, questions from the audience, but uh, two things before we get into that. Uh, for those who are live streaming, you can also ask questions by uh, posting them on um, hashtag talkgoodjobs. We have someone in here who's going to be monitoring any questions that come in through that, so we'll be able to answer that. And the second one is a request uh, to keep this moving. Um, a lot of times people want to make a statement when they're asking a question. So if you want to do that, make it brief and turn it into a question. Have a question mark at the end. So I believe we have some folks with mics um, that are going to be around. So um, who has the first question out of the audience? Hi. Got one up here. Good morning uh, or afternoon. Thank you for the presentation. My question is, can an employer opt in or is this something that only the you know, the customer would receive and then ask the vendor to provide the information. That makes sense. Mark, Larry. Hi, you can opt in. <laughs> <laughs> All the other employers can opt in. So there's a form on our website, uh, workingmetrics.com. Oh, thanks. I feel a song coming on. <laughs> uh, there's a, a, a form on our website and you can get in touch with us and others can do that. And yeah, we would love employers to do it. Question mark. <laughs> There's a question right here. Hi, thanks. I'm a little bit confused about what's public and what's not publicly available. Um, you talked about being able to compare to other companies. Um, and I know you said that the that um, the data would become available to somebody who is doing like a procurement process and getting that information. Can you explain a little bit more? And also, will the data in some way be made universally available in terms of analytics that we can use to you know for our own benchmarks, even if we don't have individual companies that we're that we're talking to? And then, if I can ask just one other add one other question to this is um, you talked about uh, you know using it to advance to a, it helping residents of Cincinnati in particular, advanced to a higher level of self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sort of curious about the definition of the term and whether there was um, sort of a scientific 
research-based um, strategy for choosing the metrics that you did? Were they purely from the business side or were they also from the, um, the individual side of what it takes to actually achieve self-sufficiency? Okay, Thanks. you wanna answer the tool questions first? And Okay. <laughs> uh, so on the data, a couple of things. So uh, a company's data is not shared with anyone. So the employee data is their own, stays their own, is proprietary, it's secure. It's not shared with anyone. The company's results uh, can only be shared by the company authorizing a particular company or other entities to see them. So they have to approve to be able to share their score or to share their uh, analytic, analytic reports. Um, and then what was your second one? Or did I answer it? So there is aggregation of the data uh, at the company level, and actually we're partnered with Aspen on doing the research and other things related to that, and Mark probably has some comments on that. Um, so I guess the other thing is um, self-sufficiency. So we pick $60,000 a year annual earnings as opposed to looking at wage rates because it's really how much money you get. If you're paid a high wage and you're not earning, you're not working many hours. Um, Sixty thousand is sort of the averager that we think of right now, but there's certainly like twelve to fifteen metro areas where the living, the cost of living is higher. On our development pathway going forward, is when you enter the location of the company, um, it could vary the definition of frontline worker. We would still be interested in folks who are earning at or below a certain threshold, but that threshold could vary something like the cost of living reflection over time. And in Cincinnati, we, we very much looked at it um, starting with uh, the federal poverty level and then going to 200 to 250% of the federal poverty level because we know that um, that's really what the, um, the type of income a family needs to be self-sufficient. And um, so the $60,000 marker that Mark was using is, is a really good benchmark relative to the family of four. So um, that's, that's how we were using the data in Cincinnati, uh, using MIT living wage calculator, all of those kinds of tools. So we have a quick question from Twitter from Aliza Durana, and I'm going to paraphrase this just to make it quick. Uh, the f it's two parts. The first is, will businesses being self-reporting this data, meaning it is, can they fudge it, fudge the data uh, and the numbers? And the second is, since uh, so many jobs are now temporary contingent, uh, is worker status taken into account when it comes to the data as well? So, um, yeah, let me fall over somebody else's shoes. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a good part of it. So, um, so the first part of that is around, I'm sorry, repeat the part. Can they, can they fudge the data? So they fudge the numbers. So this is unlike any other system that I've seen easily auditable in that the you could go to an employer and you could ask them to report out one quarter of data and you would quickly see that it's different than the, the data that they reported. So even if we had a small percentage of folks who um, were subject to auditing, people knowing that they'd be subject to auditing when these, I mean, we thought from the beginning that if there's a consequence, if, if there's consequences attached to the, the data, that there's some incentive to fudge data, but we built it in such a way that it would be incredibly easy to audit. 
Worker status. So yes, um, we actually, in the when the company registers on the site, one of the things that they identify is the percentage of people working that are not regular employees. So they could be 1099 or temporary employees or the rest. We're not yet scoring that because you need a norm by industry and we don't have the data to do that. But we're gathering the data, like what percentage it is, so that over time we can begin to score it or consider it in the score. Sorry. Got about three questions over here on the left-hand side. Um, Sure. Go ahead. Um, so uh, I like the, the idea that you're asking your vent, uh, company's asking its vendors to uh, provide this data. But how does that show up? I mean, does, does, does the employer, like does your company get credit for having reached out to their vendors and asked them to do this reporting? We, we weren't seeking any credit. We, we were just trying to assess um, you know, of the vendors that were in the process and in the, in the request for proposal process, you know, which one held up uh, closer to our values. And it was just a, a, another data point for us to, um, you know, and, and the thought would be in the event that there's two companies that were directly pretty much tied, it could be a differentiating factor. Um, and it was pretty close and it, it did weigh into the, the differentiation of the companies. Next one, right here. While honoring the great value of metrics and quantitative analysis, I'm wondering, especially in regard to performance, whether you have wrestled with the whole issue of trust and its, its effect on performance. Either one of you. I'm not sure when you say the issue of trust. Trust, but trust within the organization in performance evaluation, in uh, employer-employee relationships, that kind of thing. Right. So um, for us, um, I just wanted to make sure I understood. Um, for us, what we are utilizing the data for isn't an overall of whether the organization itself is fantastic. Um, it's it's one data piece. So you do have to marry all of the other pieces of data. But this is a good benchmark because if we're already not providing those basic things that um, Mark and Larry talked about, like um, earnings going up and having good benefits, healthcare and retirement and things like that, we're, we're not even building the right foundation to even go to that next level. So this is foundational um, in how we build our organization. It's not the end all be all. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank okay, you. Thank you. The next one, who was the, the gentleman? The... Given the sensitivity around age, is there a generational demographic being considered for good jobs in the metric system? You mean in terms of how a good job is defined? In terms of uh, how a good job is defined based on the generational aspect of the workers. So, uh, Mark, you. So we're launching the start. We're not launching the, the final product in the end. So 
there's the first thing that we did is we wanted to make sure when we did diversity that the data was available from employers in a way that it was very reliable. So we uh, gender, race, and ethnicity, our testing said they have it, it's very reliable. We considered veteran status and the feedback we got, which we think is very important, the feedback we got was there were many veterans who were not identified in employers' database as veterans. So we had a concern about data reliability, and pretty much I can say with the prime directive of trying to keep it um, easy to report, as long as it's reliable data around an issue that's important, we'll look at exploring extending it. So extending what is the definition of diversity. So we'd have to we'd have to begin to look at the issue of how it's defined, what information is available, and how it might be useful, valued to the kinds of customers we've had. But yeah, we're open to looking at um, disability, um, you know, various various kinds of issues beyond what we currently have. Okay. I believe there's some more in the back on the left. Uh, hi, Norma Goldstein from the Association of Community College Trustees. Um, looking forward, how can this tool be useful for colleges, for the college as an employer, and for students seeking jobs? Or is that in the game plan? Just keep standing, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, you know, we've, we had a community college president in our job quality cohort, the first of the inaugural cohort. And, um, you know, one of the issues he was struggling with was the quality of jobs that the, you know, the college could provide. So first of all, yes, I think they should be looking at that kind of information and splitting it into different kinds of employee cohorts, right? I think that would be important. Um, so I think beyond that, I mean, my, our vision of this is that why would you as a workforce development organization or a community social services organization or an educational organization refer your graduates to a poor employer if there's a good employer that you can refer to? So if right now you can go to Glassdoor and it's kind of the, Glassdoor is good information, but it's kind of a five-star Yelp review. If, there, if you had an alternative which was based on data and you would know that that's really a good employer as opposed to the people who liked it and didn't like it reported on it, then referral to those employers would make some sense for the better outcomes for the communities that you serve. So, and also just depending on the size of the university, a number of universities we consider to be anchor institutions that are spending uh, on various things uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for goods and services. So they sh could also be applying this as a supply chain type of effect. Yes, right here in front. I see from uh, th what you're measuring, it's mostly outputs, understandably, and easy to achieve to figures, retention wages, et cetera. My question is, uh, isn't part of uh, whether it's good to work for a company dependent upon the amount of training that I am able to receive either in within the company to retain my job or to advance to a different level or outside educational benefits. You're not measuring education as one of the benefits either on the outside. Um, Mark, can I take a sure. crack at that? 
I'm, oh, I'm like that. that. I'm like that. <laughs> um, and I, I think this might also, my reply might also get to the one question in the back. Um, one of the benefits, I think, of this tool, because it does look at purely outputs, um, it allows many, many different ways to get to that same output. So what it does is it's a starting point. If a company uses the tool and say they get two stars, they're not a rock star like Arlene and Triversity. Say they get two stars. Then the question becomes, how do they use that data to understand what are the issues? What, and, and the report will tell them to improve your score, look at retention or look at wage growth or whatever. So if we take retention as an example, that then starts a company down the path of saying, so why do we have a retention issue? And who is leaving us? And what do we know about why? And is it training or is it something else? Is it that um, the scheduling practices are so erratic that it makes it very difficult for a person to keep their job? Is it because people have trouble getting to work due to transportation issues on an ongoing basis? So it, it really is the, that high level nature is great because it allows then exploration into all the different ways that a company can seek to, to resolve that issue. And when you look at it from generational differences, the, the response for why I might leave a job could be very different than why a person who's 25 might choose to, lose, uh, to leave a job. And so engaging with employees to, to identify the issues and to co-create and co-design potential interventions is what I think the tool really allows a company to do. So I don't know if Ken or Arlene have any thoughts on that. I was going to piggyback on what you said, Janice, because once you have that data, that's when the exploration really starts. And um, I, sometimes companies have gotten in their own way because they're just used to doing things a certain way. This creates that portal for opening up and saying, well, hey, hold on a second. We've got some antiquated policies. We've got some antiquated procedures that are impacting maybe these low wage these lower wage earners because that's who we're really measuring at this point because we're trying to create that economic parity and we're trying to create that self-sufficiency and so do we have things in place and everybody and training and development is crucial it is crucial but if we're not building that initial foundation and we're not dealing with the things that impact that group of people first and foremost all the training in the world doesn't matter, especially if they're having trouble getting to work, if they're having trouble getting to work on time, if they're having other things that make it difficult for them to do a good job just based on their basic job duties. So I think that there's a higher level that you can get to, but this is a great starting point. Okay. Got a question over here and then we'll go over here. Another question from Twitter, or a couple questions from Twitter. Uh, the first is in a couple parts again. Uh, how are the metrics chosen that were used, and where did the qualifying standards, like for benefits and the the other benchmarks, how were those created? And then uh, on a similar vein, what uh, does this include in terms of diversity? Does this include disability employment? Um, this is on. So the answer to the last one I, uh, is not yet. Uh, as I said to the earlier answers, we're looking at what can be reported by companies uh, easily, quickly, and reliably, and along with veteran status, we'll look at, at those kinds of issues, but, but not yet. It's on the development roadmap. 
Um, how did we choose the metrics that are being tracked and reported carefully? Um, we put a lot of thought into ensuring that these were the kinds of metrics that would tie to actual performance in the business, actual benefit to the employees. And so we picked them crosswalking that with what data was available. It could be a low cost, low burden to report. So it was basically across those two criteria that we picked those, those uh, criteria. And where do we get the data? We have very deep federal database sources that basically for most of it, um, the data is from 95% of all the businesses that exist within that sector and subsector and it's available as of every month about a month ago. So it's fresh data, it's deep data, and it allows us to do very specific benchmarks. And I think that's a really critical part that I want to emphasize about this service is that it's important to know the results, but you don't know whether those results are really good or bad or not without knowing how you're doing within your industry and subsector. And we thought we were going to have to wait to build a database to know that but we were able to capture other databases that tell us the answer to that. So to make sure we get as many questions as possible, we're going to kind of pull a couple all at once. So this gentleman had one, so let's get his question, let's get her question, and then a third question here, and we'll answer them after we get all three. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to ask a hypothetical question. Um, let's just say that there was a legislated national service program and we were trying to match kids with work opportunities, kids from 18 to 26. How would you plug this in? Okay. Second question over here. Uh, yeah, I had a question about um, whether you're also going to be integrating uh, information about business results uh, so that businesses can relate retention more clearly uh, to the results they're trying to achieve. Uh, so that's one. And then the other one is that what you have several foundation funders. I wonder if you have had any luck convincing them to do the same with their nonprofit grantees. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and I had two questions. Um, the first was um, anecdotally, how many employers actually have this kind of data on hand um, that you've worked with or have been encountering? And then two, for those who don't have robust data quality on hand, in what ways do you support or coach them in getting that? Okay. I can answer the last one. Okay, go for it. So the last question, um, the data that's being asked for is if you pay people, you pretty much have the data on hand. It's pretty easy to get to. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm saying it's it's pretty that the data that's being asked for, they've made it very simple. So there's going to be a rare employer that does not have this data. Okay. Because they ask questions about how much do you pay for your health care for employees? That's generally known data. How much do you pay people? And you've got quarterly data. Um, we had a little bit of an issue because we switched from one payroll entity to another. So when we were comparing um, the quarterly data from this particular year to the quarterly data three years from now, we had to go back into two different systems. Um, even with having to do that, it wasn't very difficult because, again, most companies are going to be using some sort of payroll system, and extricating that level of data is pretty easy. So that that part is 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 I, I just I don't know that that would be a reason why somebody could not participate and use the the, the tool. 
Okay, we had a question about a national service program with kids and how the tool might help with that. And connections, uh, the business results to the tool output. So reverse order, non-profits uh, being required to report this information from, from grant makers. Um, what a great idea. Um, so I actually previewed this tool with a group of fellows from the National Chamber of Commerce. They're the, from the state and local chamber of commerces. And when I was showing them all about this, they started looking at each other and they started saying, we have really bad job quality where we work. So uh, we suggested that they take this back and get their company to report, and we would be able to document that for them and the rest. So yeah, so nonprofits can report on this. Uh, we have to think about what the benchmarks are uh, for that so that we have the industry right and all the rest. Um, but certainly, and, and for companies or for foundations who say that they want to have positive social impact, sure, their investment dollars should have that impact, but so should their grant dollars. And if they're buying the least cost service, sometimes that's on the backs of the people who work in those nonprofit organizations, as we all know so well. Business results. So we've chosen not to ask for financial performance or business metrics as of yet. We hope to work with others who will get that information, like an investor is going to get that information. Um, in some cases, the supply chain will get that information. And we'll create the environments for them to correlate that information and look at it. Our long-term goal is to be able to make that case and document that case. But again, it's one of those issues of what do we ask now when we're trying to get wide-scale adoption? And our focus is really on that prime directive again. So, And then national volunteer service. Just like all the other examples that I said, educational institutions, high schools, vocational education, for-profit training programs, everybody should, if, if the, the more companies that we have reporting on these systems, the more you can determine that those companies are good environments to place people. And then if we could actually work with a, a, a program that had identifiers for those individuals who are placed, we could actually break out how did those individuals do among those employers if we had enough reporters reporting companies. Okay, we probably have time for two more questions. So let's get one here. Oh, what, do we have one from Twitter? Yeah, we have a Twitter question. Okay. This one's probably for you too. Uh, so the question is from uh, Bashar Addison. Thank you. Uh, the question is, if a community wanted to scale the use of this tool with a sector group of employers, what type of organization should take on that role? Do we need an organization like Partners for Competitive Workforce to do so? Okay, that's that question. And then there was one in the back, and then we'll wrap it up. This might be a question for Larry specifically. Um, what kind of data sets or unique data sets can be introduced in, as auxiliary sets, particularly those employed or uh, verified by the employee? Okay, can we have a mic for Larry? Right here. Right here. Ah, <laughs> so, um, I mean, right now we're pulling from a number of different, as Mark alluded to, open source data sets to do the benchmarking. Um, you know, we're built open, so with the understanding they're going to be pulling in other kinds of open source data. In terms of, I think you mentioned the word employee. So right now, employees do not have a direct role in the application, um, but there could come a time where there could be, you know, this is hypothetically, where they could uh, potentially plug in data, not like Yelp or something like that, where it's unidentified, but where, you know, a lot of companies do um, surveys, for example, for engagement. And engagement is a metric that you could, you could look at and score. 
uh, for different companies. So you know, I'm not sure that the employee would directly uh, interact with that, but that's something that we could also, again, integrate into the system Correct. and report on. Say that again? Yeah, and deliver the survey for the employees. Does that answer your question? Great. Yay. <laughs> and to the other question around um, how a community could, could do something um, similar, um, having an, a workforce intermediary or, or a collaborative um, like Partners for a Competitive Workforce, that helps, but is by far not required. So if you've got somebody in your community um, who, who is listening today or is here today who is interested in using the tool, I'm sure if you talk to Mark and Larry, um, they can absolutely help bring that tool into your community. Um, um, if, if you're not aware, again, through the National Fund, the National Fund is in 32 cities across the country. There's collaboratives like PCW that can help tap into this, but again, that's, that's not a requirement. So anybody can use it. Right. Um, so industry associations, I think, are really a business association at local chamber of commerce in the uh, northern Kentucky region. The sponsor really is the chamber of commerce. And where you have the business community saying we actually want this, it's like less resistance to other employers. It's in endorsed by a certain group. Industry associations, I also think that um, any kind of organization that's really focused on trying to improve economic, social, and health outcomes within the region, they could have authority to call the groups together and ask them to report on this. Yes. <laughs> all right, Maureen. Uh, great. Well, thank you all so much. I want to give a huge round of applause to our panel. Um, and to Mark and Larry and the tool. And I'm so grateful to all of you for being here for this great conversation. Um, as Mark mentioned in a couple places, you know, this is a we're launching today, but the tool will keep developing and more will be done. And you all had some great ideas, so keep them coming. Please be in touch if you have other things that we should be thinking about as this as this goes forward. We'd love to love to hear from you. And come back on November 27th when we're going to have another event. We're going to be talking about, um, in our holiday season, we'll be talking about jobs and food retail. So after you're digesting your Thanksgiving meal and getting ready to eat more for Christmas, um, come talk with us about business strategies and workforce strategies that work well in food retail. So thank you again. And um, we're really looking forward to seeing you again soon.